0: An early week episode of the Stone Freeman Podcast, episode 12 today, as we talk the AFC Championship, the Patriots advancing to their ninth Super Bowl in the Brady-Belichick era, and we're also going to look ahead to the middle of the week when the URI Rams battle the VCU Rams at the Ryan Center. Let's go. And I'm Stone Freeman, I'm Stone Freeman Alongside Stone Freeman 7 on the game clock, 74-73 Pets for the win, got it! 2 seconds left! That's Russell. Excuse me? From Bishop Hendrickson, I'm Stone Freeman. Excuse me? Stone Freeman. Oh, I'm Stone Freeman. Where'd they all go? From the State House in Providence, I'm Stone Freeman. For the record, boom, that's the one I'm using. Where'd all the haters go? Who's the weirdo in the postgame? It's hey. a curry kid. That wrote Duxbury, D-U-C-K-S-B-E-R-R-Y. I can't find a single one. Uh, that's a Stone Freeman from URI. That's Freeman. Excuse me, what? Yeah, Stone Freeman. That's his name? Who's named after Stone Phillips? It's a good day to be a Ram, all right? I'll see you guys guys around town. Just two topics of discussion today. A quick Stone Freeman podcast as we begin episode 12. Normally, the podcast comes out midweek, even later in the week, but with the Patriots advancing to the Super Bowl and a big game on Wednesday between URI and VCU, uh, I figured those would be the two topics of discussion today. No guests, unfortunately. You get about 30 minutes of just me, but we're going to break down the Patriots' win 37 to 31 in overtime over the Chiefs, and then we'll preview, give you some names and some storylines to look out for uh, with the URI. If they Facing VCU this Wednesday at the Ryan Center. But let's start right away with the biggest news, in particular here in New England, but also around the country. Uh, NFL football last night. The Patriots defeating the Chiefs 37-31 in overtime. Another overtime game in the NFC. The Los Angeles Rams taking down Drew Brees and the uh, New Orleans Saints. Uh, both road teams getting the victory. The Patriots on the road in Kansas City and the Rams on the road in in New Orleans. We're going to talk about the Patriots and the Chiefs primarily, but also get into this refereeing uh, epidemic that's going on in the NFL that has a lot of fan bases on their heads right now. But let's start with the Patriots versus the Chiefs. Uh, The Pats get the victory again in overtime, 37-31 over Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Brady's line, 30 for 46, 348 total yards through the air, one touchdown and two interceptions. Uh, Edelman with a big night, seven receptions. 96 yards. Gronk, six receptions for 79 yards. But the rookie, Sony Michelle, 29 rushes, 113 yards, and two touchdowns. Defense performed well in the first half, obviously. If you watched it, 14 to nothing at the half. They stalled in the second, obviously giving up all. Of the 31 t- uh, points to the Chiefs in the second half, but the defense had the Patriots out in front, and it felt like a bigger lead than just 14 at the half. Uh, Tom Brady threw one of his two interceptions at the one-yard line, uh, which would have given them the opportunity to jump out 14 to nothing after just two drives. So that gave the Chiefs some momentum and a ruckus of uh, Arrowhead Stadium c- uh, crowd. There, it's a great home field advantage for the Chiefs, but the Patriots come out on top. Now, a couple storylines from this game. Obviously, there were some calls, right? The uh, the D Ford offsides on Patriots. Uh, what would have been Tom Brady's third interception off the hands of Rob Gronkowski. That's a huge one. Um, some inconsistent on the calls, right? Tom Brady uh, took a hand to the face. It seemed at one point, nothing too major. And they call the roughing, the passer Pat Mahomes though, took a hand to the shoulder earlier in the game and they didn't call anything. So some inconsistency from the referees. And again, the biggest referee storyline coming from that new Orleans game that we're going to talk about later. Um, but the Patriots get the job done, and 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 that is the storyline here. Thirty-seven to thirty-one. Uh, Pat Mahomes didn't even get to touch the ball in overtime. The Patriots win it, but the fourth quarter in particular, uh, and in overtime for New England and Kansas City, for that matter, just what a performance! With nine forty left to go in the fourth quarter, right? The Patriots went forward on fourth and inches, and it was that Rex Burkhead run up the gut that he got stalled on. The the score was seventeen to fourteen. And somehow we end the game or end regulation tied 31-31. So this is one of those rare games where if you like defense, you got plenty of it. But if you like offense, you also got plenty of it. Special teams came to play a couple times, right? That Edelman ball that went off of his fingertips or did it? Did it go off his bicep? Did it not? Obviously it would come back that it didn't and the Patriots would regain possession, but then Tom Brady would get intercepted off the fingertips of Edelman. So unique play there, but this game kind of had it all, and I put it on my Twitter as I watched it. Uh, I hope you understand that was one of the all-time greatest games, uh, especially in this new wave of NFL football. Um, You had everything. Again, I I just mentioned you had offense, you had defense. Uh, To a certain extent, you had special teams, and you had some names. You had Tom Brady, uh, who is everything and more in terms of the GOAT category, but a kid like Pat Mahomes that – I mean, you want to talk about somebody that the future is so bright? It was on full display. And as much as I bash Andy Reid, uh, you have one of the greatest quarter uh, coaches, rather to never win a Super Bowl, and you have the greatest coach of all time on the field at the same time. These are guys that their legacies uh, will speak far into the future, um, but even for guys on the Chiefs' side that that haven't exactly cemented their legacy yet or their legacy right now is more of a choke artist, uh, time will tell how important they are to the game. Andy Reid is as good of a head coach as they come in the league, um, and in a league where it seems like there's always a coaching carousel, this is a guy that has had two successful lawn stints with two pretty class organizations, right? There's there's very rarely um, bad storylines coming out of Philadelphia or Kansas City, and uh, it was all on full display last night. But the, the biggest storyline for me in this game um, – other than what happened on the field, is all the credit in the world to Tom Brady. I think he's the best to ever do it. I know he's the best to ever do it. Uh, Going to his ninth Super Bowl, looking to get another ring, uh, would make it six if he can beat the L.A. Rams. But this game in particular proved to me that the Belichick system is by far the best system to ever be implemented in the NFL. Uh, Again, that's no discredit to Tom Brady. Tom Brady, uh, to a certain extent... Uh, has completely written his own legacy, right? I mean, you you look at that game against Seattle, the way he performed in the fourth quarter. I mean, I know Malcolm Butler comes up with the interception, but Brady's fourth quarter was as good as they come. Same thing against Atlanta. When it came down to the stretch of that game in overtime, Brady looked lethal in last night's game, right? That drive in overtime. Patriots didn't give Pat Mahomes the ball in overtime, as we mentioned. But... They had three third and 10s on that drive, and Brady executed on all of them. He went to his all-reliables, right? Edelman with a 20-yard reception on 3rd and 10 the first time. Edelman with a 15-yard reception on 3rd and 10 the second time. And Gronk with a 15-yard reception on 3rd and 10 the third time. But deeper than that, Brady's line, again, we come back to 30 or 46, eh, 348 yards, again, that's pretty stellar, but that comes with the fact you played overtime and the way he played in the fourth, and one touchdown to two interceptions. Very well could have been three, and very well could have been a turnover. Now, I'm not going to go too much into the butterfly effect because I'm a believer in, well, it didn't happen. Let's focus on what happened. But the system for Tom Brady really showed last night. Why? The running game was so, it was implemented, right? Sony Michelle with 113 yards, two touchdowns. The defense performed so well, so well down the stretch in that game, too, right? You got to give credit when it's due. They gave up some big plays, but that, it, I shouldn't say down the stretch. Maybe I'll backtrack on that because obviously Pat Mahomes moved the ball so well in the second half. But I'll rephrase that from the start. That defense kept you in the game when uh, it looked like the offense started to struggle a bit, to start to struggle. Now, two touchdowns in the first half of 14. Point advantage, uh, that is a lot. That's a lot in football with only two quarters left to play. Um, And Brady is. Brady has taken advantage of the system, and that's where I'm going with this. So I'll use an analogy with you. If I had asked you, you know, if you're college educated, high school educated, even just elementary school education, at one point or another, you have a teacher that sticks out to you. That you would say, yeah, that, that, that teacher I remember, uh, for better or for worse, right? But let's not talk about the ones that suck, right? Nobody cares about the teachers that you were so thankful the last time you walked in their classroom. But what about the good ones? What about that teacher that sticks out to you? Now, more often than not, and again, there'll be somebody that'll say, well, I got to dean a class with a teacher that I really liked. I want to know, though, the teachers that you liked, again— more often than not, you have a good grade in that class, right? I can think back to tons of teachers that I say, they were great. And my grades were also good that year. Their system worked well for me. I flourished in the system. Maybe it was their policies. Maybe it was their preparation, their teaching style. I flourished in an environment where I enjoyed being in the teacher's presence. Now, to a certain extent, though, right, when it comes time to take the test, That's where I prove my value as a student. I don't have the teacher telling me answers. I don't have the teacher telling me what's going on. But I have the things that that teacher instilled going into the test. Maybe I hit the multiple choice out of the park because it was on a certain segment that the teacher really taught well. Or maybe the teacher gave you the long answer before the test so you could prepare for it. And then in return, you do well on it. That's where the individual performance comes in. Now let's look at Tom Brady. Belichick, for that matter, I don't want to call him a teacher per se because then it gives off the vibe that he's showing the ropes to Brady, which Brady plays a quarterback position that more often than not you're not getting too much you know, pointers from a head coach. But the system that Belichick has created is infectious, is where Brady's preparation habits— are the same as a guy like Belichick. If you look back to the Cleveland Browns stuff, and there's a great documentary uh, done by NFL Films uh, on the Cleveland Browns, and it's on YouTube too, but it's on that coaching staff and front office staff that Belichick had when he was with the Browns back in the 90s. And, I mean, it's a who's who's. It's so many different uh, you know, future head coaches and general managers. But if you look at a guy like Nick Saban, Nick Saban to this day who was on Belichick's staff in Cleveland – still credits Belichick for a lot of what he does as a head coach because he took a lot away from Belichick's system, from the way Belichick works. Now Brady, again, when it comes crunch time, a lot of these game-winning drives that Brady has put together, you tip your cap to him and you say he's the best to ever do it, and that's why I have no problem saying that. But there have been a lot of games that Belichick's system have kept Brady in the game to the point where he can then cement his legacy with an interesting uh, drive or an unforgettable play or something of that nature. And I think last night really proved that. Belichick's system kept Brady in the game. Again, that whole first half, the defense came to play. How about that offensive line led by Dante Scarnecchia? Didn't give up a sack this playoff so far against the Chargers and against the Chiefs. The Chiefs' defense is not good, but that front three, right? Chris Jones, Justin Houston, a linebacker that can come up and play defensive end. These are good guys. These are really good players, players that get to the quarterback, and the offensive line was in check. Now, there have been other games too, right? There have been other games where you say, you know, I mean, look at Malcolm Butler, right? But again, Brady performed well in the fourth quarter. So again, I don't, I don't say it's the system in a game like that, but again, it's a team football mentality. Now, where I say it's infectious is Brady's nitpicking of things. Now, I know he was a competitor at Michigan, right, all the storylines, But when you come to work every day and you have a boss that gets to work before you, not to one-up you just because that's how he's programmed, it makes you that much more competitive and that much more ready to participate in your day. So back to the school example. If you have a teacher every day that gets to the classroom and wants you to learn, doesn't want you to memorize, wants you to learn, wants you to take something away from that classroom into the real world, more often than not, again, I keep using that phrase because I know there are probably some examples where uh, it it counterworks itself, but more often than not, you'll be able to say to yourself, it was because of that teacher that I was so successful because that teacher went the extra step. Belichick and Brady, last night after the game, hugged each other and said, I love you to one another. And that I truthfully believe. They know that they feed off of each other. So my opinion may be that it's the system that helps Brady a bit, but that doesn't take away from his legacy. To the same people that would say it's Brady over the system, that doesn't take away from Belichick's legacy. It has been a match made in heaven. And very rarely do you get this in professional sports for this long a period of time. Right. And I've been hearing some of the national pundits say different things like, you know, MJ and Phil Jackson or Kobe and Phil Jackson or Don Shula and some of his teams down in Miami. These consistent legacies, uh, for that matter, an owner like George Steinbrenner in the New York Yankees. It starts at the top and it's infectious. You want to be better, one, because that's how you're programmed, but also because the people around you are programmed the same way. It's kind of to get a little philosophical on you, it's kind of why, you know, our friend groups, if you have a good core friend group, they stick around for a while because you guys are cemented in the same ideals, the same things that interest you. And when you go to work every day and maybe they're not your friends, but they're people that are chasing the same goal, that's what works. And that's the Belichick system. The system is far more, though, than getting your team ready for game day. The system is getting to work early, staying up late, watching film on the plane ride home even though you don't have a game for another two weeks, and little things like that. That's the system. And, you know, when Belichick says something like we're two weeks behind schedule when he wins a Super Bowl for next year and he's already telling the media, well, we're behind. There are other teams that are ahead of us. That should speak to everybody from your quarterback through the guys on the practice squad that we have to be ready for more. It doesn't stop here. So if you want to call Belichick the teacher and Brady the student, go right ahead. If you want to call Belichick the classroom and the attitude and Brady is a student that walks into it, go right ahead. Brady deserves the credit he's getting because he wakes up every day with the same mindset as the people around him. And that mindset, though, that starts at the top from even Robert Kraft is a winner's mentality that we are going to do everything in our power to be the best we can be. Now take a look at the the other side of last night's game, Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes played as good of a game as you're going to get, right? Three touchdown passes, looks stellar. I wrote down a couple things. There were a couple times where he reminded me of a rookie, overthrew uh, the running back Williams a couple times, One on a real route in the first half. He took a sack at the 37 when the line of scrimmage was at the Patriots 25. And really the play before the half where he fumbled the ball and he backtracked way out to the near sideline was enough for me to say, okay, he's still young. But his fourth quarter, boy, was he nails. I mean, out of, the, out of the half, 74 yards in two minutes and four seconds, the Sammy Watkins play that set him up at the 12-yard line and then a touchdown to Travis Kelsey, and then in the third and seven after a Patriots punt where he kind of rolled out near side and found Sammy Watkins again, those were plays that I said, this kid's, this kid's the real deal. I don't have to think twice about him. But the fact of the matter is this. The system for Pat Mahomes didn't really work last night. The defense wasn't there. And then again, you come down to the little nitty-gritty things. In a Patriots coach system or a Bill Belichick coach system, a guy like D. Ford doesn't even think about becoming offsides in a situation like that because you know the importance of it. If anything, you're back a couple extra inches. It was third down anyway, right, or something like that. The Patriots weren't exactly moving the ball. The Chiefs had a beat on them at that point. So that's where I come down to is you see a guy, again, right on the other side of things, a guy like Pat Mahomes that had a lead, Uh, was so good in the second half, but the system of being perfect that the Patriots have personified really over the past run wasn't there, and Pat Mahomes comes up short. Now, he's going to be real good. Brady talked to him after the game. I think there was a a report from ESPN that Brady had found him, and they talked in a private room for just a minute, and they didn't disclose what was said, but when you see something like that happen, that's uh, as much of a passing of the torch as you can get. Right Now, I know the Patriots are the physical team moving on, but metaphorically, there will be quarterbacks that have the Sunday night type of feel to them or the Monday night type of feel to them. And Pat Mahomes is going to be one of them. He already is. And Brady acknowledged that. So an interesting game. And you give credit to the GOAT, the greatest of all time to ever play the quarterback position in Tom Brady. And I'm not saying I choose system over Brady. What I'm saying is the system has kept Tom Brady in games that allows him to be great. And that's the critical part. When you have a system or you have a situation or you have a leader that allows you to be great, allows you to personify your best self, that's when you can create a long-lasting legacy for yourself far off the football field. But we saw it and we've seen it this past, what, 18, 20-year run with Tom Brady and the Bill Belichick era. These guys have the same mindset. And it's infectious to feed off of each other. Now, before I get to the final thing uh, and the Patriots and whatnot going on and moving on to the Super Bowl, I did want to touch on this referee fiasco, um, in particular the play that happened in New Orleans. Um, and I'm I'm forgetting the players' names exactly and the exact situation, but really a blatant helmet-to-helmet slash pass interference play along the near sideline if you're watching on TV. Sean Payton addressed it after the game, said the NFL contacted him and and, you know, apologized, essentially said we missed that play. I just have two quick things on this. One, obviously, it's a blatant missed call, right? I mean, it's it's as brutal as a hit as you get. You get two referees sitting there, neither one of them throw the flag. I had this gut feeling when it happened. It was one of those things where you're waiting for somebody to do something, and by the time everybody waits for another person to do something, you realize it's been too late. And I know that sucks, especially in that stage of the game where the Saints were driving and looking to score a touchdown. They have to settle for a field goal. I get all that. I get it's frustrating. Um, but But... In comparison to the calls in the Patriots game, I mean the D Ford play. I mean that's a penalty, and and I know for Chiefs fans it looks really freaking shady because you got a you got an offsides call when Brady throws an interception, but he was offsides. That's a play. Um, I thought the refs the biggest missed call in the Patriots game was a pick play that opened up Williams along the near sideline to score. Um, but other than that, I mean they missed a pass interference against Gronk. They made a pass interference call for the Chiefs against, I think it was J.C. Jackson along the far side right sideline. They missed a roughing the passer on Pat Mahomes, and they made one on Tom Brady, and they were kind of the same play. Uh, I wasn't so rattled with the Patriots officiating um, as much as the, the bigger point is the play in the Saints game, though. I mean, that's really bad. That's really bad, and I think we kind of microscope both Chiefs fans and Patriots fans, the officiating in the AFC game, because of the fact that we saw that play happen in the game before. So automatically, NFL officials have, you know, bullseyes on their back, and we're just eyeing them down. Final thing on this uh, referee situation, though, is I do put blames on those officials that didn't throw the flag in the Saints game. But there's a lot of these pass interference and was that a catch a couple of years ago where I don't blame the officials as much as I blame the league. Now, the officials are part of the league. I get that. But I don't think these officials actually know what's a catch for to a certain extent, what's a pass interference, what's a roughing the passer, what's head-to-head, head, what's leading with your hand. All these different rules because we're starting to manipulate the rulebook so much that that a lot of them – and again, they they to a certain point – have to know this, but, but I start to question, are we training officials right? Are, are, is the rule book you know, defined enough? Because there's just a lot of things that, that, to the naked eye, without a replay, I don't know if you can call it right off the bat, right? And these pass interferences, a lot of them now are just hand fouls, or just guys that are getting too handsy with one another and we're throwing a flag, and then you guys get getting rocked or completely hung all over like Rob Gronkowski almost every play and you're not getting anything. There has to be consistency there. But the the greater point to it is the play that the refs missed in the St. Louis-New Orleans game. Oh, St. Louis. I keep saying St. Louis. L.A. The L.A.-New Orleans game, that one is bad. That's an exception to the rule. You have to make a call in that predicament, and both of them missed it. So, final thing. The Patriots are advancing to their third straight Super Bowl, four of the last five, five of the last eight, and nine total in the Brady-Belichick era. Whether it's the system, whether it's the quarterback, they both allow each other to be great, and that's the infectious part. We'll take a second, and we're talking college basketball. Don't free Freeman Podcast. So that was some Patriots AFC Championship onto the Super Bowl talk, uh, some referee talk too, and the more that I think about it, I just say how come pass interference can't just go to Review, right? You throw the flag and then we'll go back and look at it. And I know that's kind of a conversation now, but that's really the only other uh, problem or solution for that matter that I have with the referee situation from the championship weekend. But anyway, on to college basketball, in particular the Rhode Island Rams. Uh, why? I wanted to get an, uh, an early week uh, podcast out to preview this game because URI has a shot at a Ken Palm top 60 team. And I don't know how much you look into the Ken Pomerary, uh rankings or net ratings or whatever we got going now that the uh, NCAA committees take a look at. And I think, I know, uh, an at-large bit is obviously out of the question for the Rams. But just an opportunity to play another team, um, you know, in this A-10 that has really been a question mark all season long, we got St. Louis and VCU that very well both could be in the conference i mean the ncaa tournament this year uh two very good teams you obviously lost to st louis on the road earlier this year by a narrow margin i think it was 59 50 uh that was over uh, just before the uh, just after the new year rather one of the first game of 8 10 play But VCU comes to the Ryan Center, one of two meetings this season. Uh, That's big. Why? Because, again, it gives URI two cracks. one on the road, one at home, against a very good team that can build some momentum. URI winners of two straight games for only the second time this season. So David Cox touched upon that in the post-game press conference after St. Bonaventure and and a couple other times this season, where he uses the quote, wins will stack up, right? Wins will start to come together, but we have to not so much go back to fundamentals, but we have to go back to finding ourselves and finding our identity in basketball. But the second of the two meetings won't be until February 19th on the road at VCU, but February 23rd here, or rather January 23rd coming up here in two days, the uh, 7 p.m. tip off at the Ryan Center. You can catch the game on WRU 90.3 FM if you won't be there. Um, but it's a good game with a lot of storylines. Two teams that really, VCU, 13-5 with a 4-1 record in A-10 play, uh, I think they're they're kind of playing the same style of basketball as URI, and two teams that, especially over the course of the last three, four seasons, have been storyline-centered, uh, national teams that get a lot of recognition, have had good head coaches come through their systems, and um, URI obviously a little bit behind VCU to a certain extent. Last year, the Rhode Island Rams had the advantage over the VCU Rams, but Uh, You look back to even to Shaka Smart and then into the Will Wade era and now into Mike Rhodes, you get a VCU pipeline of coaches and players to the NCAA tournament. But again, VCU 13-5, 4-1 in A-10 play. Their only loss in A-10 comes at Davidson, Um, They have one loss that I deem a bad loss, and it was versus Old Dominion or on the road at Old Dominion. Other than that, their losses come to uh, St. John's in overtime, and they lost to the College of Charleston, a team that you or I lost to on the road. Um, But they have wins over Texas and Wichita State this season. Um, Again, both teams that are probably not playing their best basketball. We've seen better Texas programs. We've seen Greg Marshall have better Wichita State teams, but two teams that are in conferences that are deemed better than the Atlantic 10, and uh, some recognition for the Conference. So this is a team that has had some pretty big games this season already. Uh, We're going to see two of the best defenses in the Atlantic 10 in terms of points given up per game. VCU at number two, right now giving up just 62.6 points per game, and URI at number four giving up just 66.4. And that's kind of been the mantra for both teams. That's that's how they identify. uh, No matter what head coach is coming through, hard-nosed basketball. uh, They can control the interior, exterior play, especially this year down, but. But interior, both teams like to rebound, uh, and they like to control. And again, in an era of positionless basketball, the interior can sometimes get forgotten. We talked about that last week in the NBA on the podcast, uh, how the NBA is going to positionless where seven-footers are expanding and the interior isn't as um, you know dangerous as before. But this is two teams that believe in the, the nature of rebounding, and uh, it's helped them on the defensive side, uh, both giving up less than 70 points per game at the top echelon of the Atlantic 10. And to that interior point, URI, the number two team in rebounds per game at 38.9. St. Louis at 39.7 is the number one team. So just a difference of 0.9 rebounds. And VCU, number three in rebounds per game at 37.1. Now, for URI, their success comes largely because of Cyril Angevine, right? It's been beaten like a dead horse, but the only uh, player in the Atlantic 10 to average a double-double. He's got 10 rebounds per game plus and about 13 points per game. Um, one thing that has also helped URI's rebounding department is. Tyrese Martin, believe it or not, coming into the starting lineup. I know we've only seen it a small portion. He started each of the last two games, one at home against St. Bonaventure, one on the road at LaSalle, both victories for URI. Uh, And his only other start comes at St. Louis. Again, a very productive game for URI. But uh, this is a guy that is, you know, even when he's not getting in the scoring column, and he was the first Ram since E.C. Matthews to have four straight double-digit performances, that was snapped against LaSalle, but he still grabbed nine rebounds. Uh, and I think once he gets more in the rhythm into starting minutes, and uh, which I think it's kind of you know a foregone conclusion now that he will be in the starting lineup going forward, uh, Christian Thompson will be moved to the bench. Uh, you need a guy like this that can get to the rim, that can get to the bucket on both defense and offense. We haven't seen too much outside shooting from Tyrese Martin. I kind of like that. I like his aggression to just get to the bucket. He's a, said this, uh, this quote a couple times. He's a natural scorer. To me, when he's got the ball in his hands, it looks like he's comfortable, in particular since he uh, got inserted into the starting lineup. But um, this is a VCU team that, again, they're good defensively. They they also put up 72.5 points per game. So to limit second-chance opportunities and grab rebounds is important for URI. In particular, they're going to need the help from Cyril Langevin, but also from their freshman and Tyrese Martin. Now VCU number three in rebounds per game at 37.1, but they counterproduct themselves because they give up 37.7. So believe it or not, they may be one of the top echelon rebounding teams, but their rebound margin is in the negative. And and you can't have that because you're counterworking yourself. But this is where Rhodey can take advantage of that. They can outwork the, the Rams and the post and in the paint, because neither team shoots well from three. I was looking at stats earlier. Rhode Island's the last team in the Atlantic 10 in three-point production, and VCU is second to last. VCU only shoots uh, to a clip of 302 from behind the arc. So neither team is really producing from deep, but they like to work on the interior. And we're going to look at Cyril Landryne, but also on the other side for VCU, a name to look out for is Marcus Santos Silva, 8.5 points per game, but 6.8 rebounds per game. Also shoots to a 58. Point eight percent clip. He's a big body, six seven two fifty. This is a guy that Cyril Androvine is going to have to work with, and uh, we're going to see some, uh, you know, in-paint presence from both. Jermaine Harris, to a certain extent, this is a game that has it, you know, from my perspective at least, I would have to guess he's going to get himself in foul trouble again just because when you get a big body like that that's going to be able to rebound you as uh, a redshirt sophomore, so he doesn't have too much more experience, over, or he's a sophomore rather, he doesn't have too much experience over uh, a guy like Jermaine Harris, but a guy that can just use his body to his advantage. And uh, from David Cox's perspective, I'm sure you'd rather have Jermaine fouling him than Cyril Androvine, but you can discipline yourself on the interior uh, it'll be pretty, it'll be uh, a good matchup for URI. I won't say it would be a great one. It would be a good one that you could take advantage of. So I've given you two names for URI, Tyrese Martin, Cyril Langevin, and now Marcus Santos Silva for VCU. Uh, and they get some other guys. Isaac Van is a good one to look out for. He started all 18 games, uh, third on the team in scoring with 13.2 points per game. The kid Jenkins, 17 starts this season in 17 games played uh, with 11.1 Uh, points per game, but the other guy to look out for is Marcus Evans. He's a redshirt junior transfer from Rice. He came over with Mike Rhodes, a guy that Mike Rhodes is really high on uh, that can shoot the ball uh, to a certain extent from three is not too good, only 25%, but a 40% shooter from the field that's tied for uh, second best on the team uh, for a guy with That's averaging his minutes, and minutes is another thing I want to get to, but we're going to come back to that in a second. But Marcus Evans does not shoot the ball well from three, but he's still getting 13.4 points per game. Grabs a couple rebounds, 3.2, but these are just a couple of the guys at the top echelon of the scoring category that I would keep out for. Marcus Santos-Silver can rebound and score a bit, and Marcus Evans. Now one thing that Mike Rhodes does really well is he doesn't have uh, too many guys playing too many minutes. I got to count them up here, but it looks like there's three, six, nine players that all play over 15 minutes per game. Nobody plays over 30 minutes per game. So a team that turns the ball over uh, you know quite high at a pretty high clip, um, I think on the season I just had this one up. Beast usually, yeah, number one, they've turned the ball over 78 times on the year. Uh, that's the most uh, by far in the Atlantic 10. This is a team to to. They're, they're going to turn the ball over, but. Uh, If they can play discipline, they have a deep bench. And that's where I'm going with this is some of their guys come off the bench uh, and they got that top three Evans, Jenkins, Vans that all average over 11 points per game. But other than that, there's a substantial drop off. Then it's Santos Silva at 8.5 and everybody else is averaging over 5.2 or under 5.2 points per game. So it's a deep team though. They can blend in a lot of different guys. They have um, almost the entire team, the exception of just three guys have played in all 18 games this this season or eighteen or more, fifteen or more. Um, so these are just some storylines to look out for. We're we're going to get ourselves a good game. A team that has got themselves in the win column quite a few times this season. Thirteen wins overall for VCU, but they're kind of built the same way as Rhodey. They turn the ball over. URI's uh, the number three team in the Atlantic Ten in turnovers at seventy six overall in a ten play. VCU at seventy eight. Uh, number one like I just mentioned so they turn the ball over a lot they don't shoot well from outside but they want to control the interior presence and uh, it's an opportunity for URI to get a big win and the students will be back this is the first time back on campus since the holidays so an opportunity for the Ryan Center to be rocking we've had good crowds there all season long and if you can't join us in person make sure to turn on over to 90.3 WRU or uh, WRU.org for the internet stream we'd love to have you. So that's episode 12 of the Stone Freeman podcast in the books. We talked about URI and VCU this uh, Wednesday. We're going to have some more Patriots talk over the next couple weeks, hopefully a couple guests joining us to preview the Super Bowl. But the Patriots are on to the Super Bowl, winning the AFC championship in overtime last night. We're recording here on Monday, Sunday the night before the Patriots taking down the Kansas City Chiefs. Thanks for joining us on uh, episode 12 of the Stone Freeman podcast. It's in the books. We'll see you around town.